This morning we continue a journey that we started last Sunday through the Gospel of Mark. Turning our attention today from John the Baptist to Jesus. Turning our attention from John's ministry to Jesus as he prepares for his ministry. We pick up today in Mark 1, verse number 9. I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Let, let's take a moment and pray. Dear, dear Father, I pray your blessing upon this time uh, in, in your word. Uh, these were two of big events for Jesus that take place in this story. And two events that make a difference in our lives today. And so give us understanding. God, I pray that your word will speak to us. That it will speak to our hearts, our minds, and to our lives. God, help me as I present this message. Help me as I present your word. Help us receive it. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. It was the summer before my senior year of high school that I committed my life to full-time ministry. But it would take years of preparation before I was ready for full-time ministry. Here in Mark 1, Jesus has had 30 years to prepare himself for his full-time ministry. As a child, the Bible says that he grew and he became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Remember, at age 12, Jesus amazed the teachers at the temple with the depth of his understanding and his answers about the Scripture. But the Bible tells us almost nothing about Jesus' life from age 12 until age 30, except that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with with people. We, we assume that Jesus would have lived his life pretty much in the same way as any Jewish young man would have lived their lives during those years. Helping his family provide for their daily needs, learning the scriptures, participating and leading family worship, sharing with friends, visiting the synagogue on the Sabbath, and making annual trips down to Jerusalem for the Passover. I'm sure that there must have been other times when Jesus talked for hours to the teacher and the rabbis about the scriptures. And all of that was preparing him for ministry. For his ministry. In today's scripture, Mark shares the two final events that would prepare Jesus for ministry. His baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River and his temptations by Satan in the desert. Before we talk about those two events, it's important that we understand what the focus of Jesus' ministry would be. God had a mission that he wanted, to, he wanted his son 
to fulfill in his ministry. Jesus' main mission was not to teach the truths of God's word, though he often taught God's truths. And in his main mission was not to do miracles, though he often did miracles, many miracles, many miraculous miracles. Jesus makes it clear in, in Luke 9.10 what the main focus of his ministry was. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, that was his life's mission on earth. Christ came to save sinners, to eat with them, to talk with them, to show them God's love, and ultimately to die for them. However, Jesus' saving ministry just wasn't for the people in first century Israel. His saving ministry was for all people in all places and in all times. See, these two events in Mark 1 prepared Jesus not just for his earthly ministry, but for his heavenly ministry to you and me right now in the year 2021. I mean, think about it for a moment. God was thinking about you and your salvation when he sent his son into the world. God was thinking about you and your salvation when his son died for your sins on the cross. And these two events help Jesus' ministry to you today. The first event is Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And Mark gives us just a quick summary of his baptism in three verses. Mark 1, 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a spirit and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. What a powerful scene. At the very moment that John brings Jesus out of the waters of baptism, the sky splits open and God's Spirit comes down upon him like a dove. And God speaks, you are my son, my loved son, and I am well pleased with you. Our Heavenly Father was well pleased with his son Jesus, pleased that he was preparing for his saving ministry by being baptized by John. There are two truths that I want to emphasize about Jesus' baptism. The first truth is that in his baptism, Jesus is identifying with us in our need for forgiveness. Remember, John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus hadn't sinned. I mean, he didn't need to repent and be baptized to be forgiven. So why was Jesus baptized? The Life Application Bible suggests four reasons. First, to begin his mission to bring the message of salvation to all people. Second, to show support for John's ministry. Third, to identify with our humanness and sin. And fourth, to give us an example to follow. 
Now, all of those are good reasons, but I believe the most important among them is that Jesus was baptized to identify with our humanness as sin as he begins his saving ministry. In Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, John at first refuses to baptize him because John, recognizing Jesus' greatness, says he needed to be baptized by Jesus. But I want you to hear how the Lord responded. Matthew 3, verse number 15. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Here's how that same verse is translated in the New Living Translation. It says, But Jesus said it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He was baptized to carry out all that God required. God had a mission for Jesus' life, to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus wanted to carry out the Father's mission by seeking and saving the lost. And as a part of carrying out that mission... Jesus identifies with us in our need for forgiveness in being baptized. And then God shows his approval by opening up the heavens, sending down his spirit, and telling Jesus and everyone else who heard it that he was well pleased with his son. Jesus did more than just become a human being. He identifies with imperfect human beings... In perfect human beings like you and me. He identifies with sinners who needs God's forgiveness. For all eternity, Jesus, the Son, had had nothing to do with sin. And now as a human being, he continues to have nothing to do with sin. He never sins, never once. But he has something to do with sinful human beings. As a part of his saving ministry, he identifies with us. In his baptism, Jesus is identifying with us in our need for forgiveness. That's the first truth. Here's the second from Jesus' baptism. In his baptism, Jesus, or excuse me, God, in his baptism, God is preparing his son to be our sin sacrifice. God's saving mission from Jesus may begin in the baptistry, but it doesn't end until he dies on the cross. This is Jesus' first step in identifying with sinful people by being baptized. His last step will, become, will be to become sin and sin sacrifice on the cross. The, the final step is described, 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 24. One, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we, may, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't need forgiveness because he never sinned. But he became sin on the cross that we might be forgiven and made right with God. I find it interesting that the same word that is used here to describe heaven being torn open when Jesus is baptized, it's the same word used later by Mark to describe 
the temple curtain being torn in two when Jesus dies on the cross. In the temple, there was this curtain that separated the holy of holies where God dwelt from the rest of the temple. This was symbolic of the separation that existed between God and people. I mean, he is a perfect and holy God, and we are a sinful and imperfect people. But Jesus' death tears down that sin curtain that separates us from God. As a result, we can all have a relationship with God through faith in his Son and in his Son's sacrifice. John's baptism was looking forward to that day. That day when Jesus would not just identify with sinful people. That day when he would become sin and truly provide for our salvation. Jesus' first step of baptism in the Jordan was preparing him for his last step of dying for our sins on Calvary's cross. That's the second truth about Jesus' baptism. In his baptism, God is preparing his son to be our sin sacrifice. Now we turn our attention to the second event in today's scripture. Jesus' temptations in the desert. And Mark gives us again just a quick summary, a quick summary of his temptation in just two verses. Mark 1, verses 12 and 13. At once the Spirit sent him into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. There's a lot that Mark doesn't tell us about Jesus' temptations that the other Gospels do. But what Mark tells us is significant. First, he tells us that the Holy Spirit sent Jesus into the desert. He, he was compelled. He was driven by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. This was a part of God's plan. Mark tells us that Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days. It wasn't just three temptations. It was multiple temptations for more than a month. Really, over his whole lifetime. The devil wanted to do everything that he could to get Jesus to sin and thwart God's plan for our salvation. Mark tells us that wild animals were there. Possibly they were part of Satan's temptation. We don't know, but they were there. And finally, Mark tells us that angels minister to Jesus after this intense time of temptation. He had been tempted in every way by the devil, and he had endured every one of the devil's temptations. Again, there are two truths that I want to emphasize about Jesus' temptations. The first truth is, is that in his temptation, Jesus is identifying with us and our struggle with temptation. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is experiencing the same temptations that we experience in our lives. Hebrews 4 describes it this way in verses 14 and 15. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe, this high priest of ours, 
understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. You know, it's one thing for Jesus to look down from heaven and see what people experience from a, different, from a distance. But it is another thing for him to come down from heaven and experience what people experience firsthand as a human being. I mean, just like it's one thing to read the story of some tragedy in the paper and feel some sorrow. It is another thing to actually experience the tragedy with all of its sorrow and pain. Jesus actually experienced the same testing that we experience, the same, temps, the same temptations that we experience. And yet he never once gave in to those temptations, those testings. He never once sinned. And so Jesus knows how hard it is to overcome Satan's temptation. It was a struggle for him, and he knows it's going to be a struggle for us. That's why it says that our high priest, Jesus, can sympathize with our weakness. One of the qualities that all the Greek gods had was there was always a distant relationship between them and people. They were not personal gods. They were not gods who you got to know and who got to know you. But that is true when it comes to Jesus. Having been a human being, he knows what it's like to be one of us. Having dealt with temptation, he knows what it's like when we're tempted. Having struggled with the devil, he really knows what it's like to struggle When we're tested, when we're tempted, Jesus knows us and loves us, and in turn, we can know him and love him. And that was God's saving plan for us and for Jesus. And a key part of that plan is this first truth. In his temptations, Jesus is identifying with us and our struggle with temptation. But another key part of God's saving plan is the second truth about Jesus' temptations. In his temptations, God is preparing his son to be our intercessor. Jesus struggled with temptation as we struggle with temptation. However, he never gave in to temptation. But we do, don't we? Even as believers... Though it is God's desire that we don't sin. Though God has given us his word to guide our lives. Though God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us live a godly life. There are times when all of us do wrong. Times when all of us fail to do right. And at those times, Jesus is prepared to intercede for us. The Apostle John describes it this way in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. That's God's desire. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Did you catch what John said? If anyone does sin, and we sin, 
We have an advocate in Jesus who pleads our case before the Father. Jesus is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He is our attorney who pleads our case before God the Father. He speaks on our behalf. And Jesus is uniquely qualified for that role because he came and lived among us. Because he experienced life with all of its difficulties. Because he experienced temptation with all of its struggle. And most important, because of his perfect life and his sacrificial death. And because of all of that, Jesus can plead for mercy for us on the basis of all that he has done. And we, in turn, can plead to him for grace and help. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says what it says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We will need help if we're going to overcome sin's temptation. We, we can find help. We can find that help in our intercessor, Jesus. And so we're encouraged to boldly go before the throne of our gracious God in prayer. And there we will find grace and mercy to help us live more and more like Jesus. That is all part of God's savings plan. That's all a part of the purpose that God had for Jesus in his life. To seek and to save the lost. And in Jesus' temptation, God is preparing his son to be our intercessor. To be our intercessor when we struggle with sin and temptation. That day when Jesus was baptized by John... And the 40 days that followed when Jesus was tempted by Satan, God was working out his divine plan. He was working out his saving plan for you and for me. God was preparing his son to minister, to minister to those who were there in the first century, but also to minister to us in the 21st century. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to live among us. He came to get to know us in our sin struggle. He came to love us and to die for us, and he came to be our intercessor, our advocate before the Father. Oh, Jesus has a ministry for us today. And God, I pray. I just pray that God... That, that you would know that ministry. Let me share just some brief practical application as we close. Three things I think we need to do as a result of this morning's meeting. Number one, recognize that you are the focus of Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost. He came for you. I think we need to take Jesus' coming personal. When he came into the world some 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, he came for you. While he lived here and lived a perfect life, he, he lived for you. As he endured life's difficulties, as he eventually 
ended up enduring the cross. He, he did it for you. He, he, he did it for you. And, and he did it for me. Now, number two, be sure to find forgiveness in Jesus and in his sin sacrifice. He died for you. I, I shared yesterday in, in a graveside service uh, Jesus' own words in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I encourage the people that were there to take that verse personally. For God so loved you that he gave us one and only Son, that if you believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. He died for you. And last, look to Jesus for help and understanding in your struggle with temptation. He'll intercede for you. He wants to work in your life. Not just to save you, but he wants to work in your life to transform it. That you might become more and more like him. And that's really our goal. We, we want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to learn from him, and we want to become like him. But we need to surrender ourselves to him. Let me pray. Dear Father, what a challenge we have here uh, in, in these events that took place. What a wonderful gift you have given us in your Son and how you were preparing him for ministry. And not just ministry on the earth, but ministry today to us in our lives. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be at work in us. For those who have never named your name as Savior. I pray that you will work in their lives. And bring them to the point of decision, that point of surrender recognizing their sin and turning to you, to your love and your forgiveness in Christ. And God, I pray that each of us, that the work that began there, there in Jesus' baptism and in his temptations, that that work continues in us as Christians, that we might become more and more like Jesus. Help us. We come boldly before your throne right now. We're counting on you interceding for us. We're looking for grace. We're looking for help to live for you. And so God, work in our lives. That is our prayer. We pray it in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We want to thank you so very much for listening today. We, we thank you so much for just coming every week and sharing with us. We look forward to being with you. We always invite you to come and worship with us. We think we can do that safely on Sunday mornings, 1030. But again, if you continue to choose to listen on the radio, that's great. We're glad to have you. And if there's any way that we can minister to you, don't hesitate to get a hold of us. You can call us on the phone. Uh, our phone number, it's 379 4443, or you can contact us through our website, uh, paxtonchurchofchrist.org. Uh, 
uh, we're here to minister to you in the name of Jesus. And we just invite you to know him, to trust him, and to live in him. We, we again, thank you for listening. We look forward to sharing with you uh, again next Sunday.